Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Father Timothy Vaverick. He is a priest of the Diocese of Austin. He's been a priest since 1985. He's currently pastor at Assumption Parish in the city of West. He has a new book recently out, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ, from Emmaus Road Publishing. And we're going to talk about a couple of his recent articles. But, Father, first of all, thanks for joining us today. Uh, uh, glad to do so. Um, uh, it, it makes uh, We're recording it on uh, Ash Wednesday, and it's, uh, it's a good day to reflect on these things. It certainly is. And maybe, you know, before we get into your articles about kind of what's going on, uh, with some disturbing things within the church and the hierarchy and what they're saying. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your book and where can people find it? Uh, well, my book can be found uh, from Emmaus uh, uh, Publishing on the Internet. Um, you can also get it wherever else you might buy books. Um, it is a, a series of reflections on the nature of the salvation that God has worked for us in Christ Jesus, um, it's an effort to try to rediscover uh, a deeper understanding of our redemption as not simply our sin has been forgiven uh, and we avoid hell, but rather that we come to share God's life, that we're divinized, um, as we would say in the West or the Orthodox speak of theosis, um, by which we become sharers um, in Christ's life and his saving ministry. Uh, so that just as um, Adam was given um, Eve as a helpmate, and together they had a task and a mission and a life um, that was given to them by God um, uh, in the order of creation, so so too in the order of salvation. Um, Christ, it was not good to God deemed it that um, the Messiah should uh, be alone and, and made his body and bride the Church um, to share in his life and, and share in his saving work. Uh, and if we were to realize what the, the implications of that uh, for our daily life, it would utterly transform um, how, we, how we approach life, um, because then we would see everything that we're doing, obviously other than sin, um, as a participation in God's own life and uh, the advancing of his glory and his his salvation, not just in our own life, but in the life of those, those around us. So that's the broad sweep anyway. Well, I think that's it's actually a good uh, segue into what we're going to talk about, because it's a reminder to us of, of rooting ourselves in Christ and, and all that's been done for us, because we see in our world today, and you've written a couple articles in The Catholic Thing, uh, you know, accompanying those innocently in error and of sin and mitigated culpability, which really focuses on, uh, you know, some of the some of the things that have been coming out of the hierarchy, where it seems like there's not doesn't seem they are saying basically, you know, we got to meet people where they're at, which I think no one would disagree with, but it's basically allowing them to live in their sinfulness and still welcoming them to receive the Eucharist and, and not call them out in terms of, hey, you need to be better than what you're doing. Well, it's actually worse than that right now. You know, so um, uh, it, it's no longer even calling it sin, right? 
Right. It's not. It's not just saying meet people where they are and then kind of move them from there. Right. right. Although they'll still kind of try to use this language. Right. I mean, uh, Cardinal uh, McElroy recently in, in in remarks talked about how. Um, Specifically, he was speaking with homosexuality, but it could be said of any of any sin that you know they struggle just like we do. Well, then, Your Eminence, do you really mean to say that what they're doing is sinful? <laughs> then why don't you right. say so? Right? right, because they don't, and they're actually calling for the church no longer to hold certain things as being sinful anymore. And we're, we're in a situation in which they're floating the notion of um, having uh, polygamy. Um, uh, be, be, be accorded some sort of um, special standing. So it's far worse than just meeting people where they are. Um, and it's not new. I mean, they, they act as if this is new. They call it a new paradigm, a new morality. They, they, they position themselves as being progressive. I'm 63 years old. This is the same story they've been saying all my life. Right. I mean, this 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 moral theory that they're using um, was um, uh, began began in the 50s. Uh, it was already being taught in Rome by the time we got to the mid 60s, um, and it's it's what they've been saying the entire time. So um, it's not new. It's not the gospel, um, and it, the failure is not to call people out. The failure is to present the person of Jesus. You know, look, he didn't come just to forgive our sins, as I was saying. He came that we might share his life. And, and, and he, he's not asking the question, uh, are you doing this in ignorance? Are you doing it in sin? I mean, yep, certainly, there's an, a very important difference there. But even if you're doing it in ignorance, it's, it's messing your life up. You're not having the fullness of life. Again, he didn't come just to forgive us our sins. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. And he told his apostles to go out and make disciples by baptizing them, that is, by causing him to dwell in his disciples, and they in him, and to teach them, not teach them what I taught you, but teach them to live all that I have told you. Teach them to do all that I have commanded you. Because Jesus is calling us in this life, not just in the life to come. He's calling us in this life to throw off the, um, the disorder and, um, and the resulting evil, um, uh, whether it's there through, uh, through our ignorance or through our deliberate sin, to throw that all off. And come to stand, stand upright. Don't go around crouched and bent over and twisted. And then, oh, we're going to accommodate you so you can walk around in that kind of distorted way. No, we have to stand up and walk on our two feet. And, and that transition from being twisted around, it's like physical therapy. It's painful for us. But, but it, it sets us free. And what, this, what, what they're doing is they're, they're enslaving people to the mess that we find ourselves in. And that's not what Christ came to do. Well, and whether it's, you know, Cardinal McElroy, you know, Carl, Cardinal Supish just came out and tried to make it sound like Pope Benedict is on, was on their side and with his writings. It really is not only uh, a distorted way of, of what they're doing, but it, it really is allowing people to live in their sin and think that they're fine. How, how can you know, supposedly well-educated Catholic minds 
really fall for such uh, you know a delusional way of thinking when we're not holding people accountable and trying to make them better, right? Which you know, anytime you set the bar high, that means there's something that we're trying to achieve, and they're not only not setting the bar high, they're just putting the bar wherever people are. Fair enough. Uh, it is no doubt the case that many people don't believe these things are sins anymore, and, and we have to acknowledge that. It's not that all these people are walking around deliberately doing this out of malice. Then Cardinal Ratzinger talked about an event in the 50s where he's in a faculty lounge at one of the universities at, and the people there, he said, they're, they're daily mass going devout Catholics. This is, this is, this is before the council, uh, and they're talking about Really, why are we taking the gospel to the nations, to the what we used to call the pagans? Because I mean, God's working in their life, and they're not burdened. They're not burdened by the gospel. And Ratzinger was stunned. How is it they construe the saving gospel as a burden? But that is the point. These mm-hmm. are people, whether they're whether they're theolo- theologians with their theories. Um, uh, seminary uh, se- seminary staff, uh, whether they're the priests who are studying in this and now are the bishops like Sue Pitch and others, they they view the gospel as a burden. They 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 view the truth as a as a threat in some way, and, and that we should not impose on people. That's uh, that imposes a hardship instead of seeing the gospel as a, a setting us free. The hardship coming not from the gospel but from a fallen world and a fallen nature that we have. This is upside down and backwards. Jesus, Jesus told us that there would be the cross, and he didn't say the cross would be, be, be there just because you're just because you're selfish and mean. The cross will be there because when you live the right way in a fallen world, it's going to be there's going to be sorrow. I mean, Jesus didn't suffer because he was selfish and prone to concupiscence and a committed sin. He suffered because because if you if you love in a fallen world. Um, uh, how else? What, what other response is there going to be when you confront the evil that is in people's lives, whether it's there by malice or not? It's a cause for the most profound grief, and certainly sin is the deepest possible grief. To ask a parent who has a wayward child, not not a child who I mean, ask a, a parent about a child who's sick. Uh, ask a parent about a child who's who's making mistakes. They're sad enough, but. Ask a, ask a parent about a child who is wayward, who has entered the path of sin. The sorrow is great. So, so we, should we have less sorrow over our own waywardness? <laughs> um, and they're trying, for whatever reason, um, uh, for the latter, last 50, 60 years, there's been this, um, this effort to try to hide from us the, the reality of the changes that need to take place in us, um, and to help us recognize that in the Lord Jesus, um, and, and that, that's yeah. where the real failure is. There, there's there's a failure here to have us see our our, our mistaken notion of life, and to see our sins in the light of Jesus, because if we see it in the light of Jesus, there's hope. There's a path forward. But if we don't bring the person of Jesus, if for us morality is simply these these uh, kind of principles or, or theories or norms, well, I'm not going to change my life for that kind of stuff. How can that give me any consolation? You know, I'm going to die for the cause. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to die for the principle that two and two equals uh, four. 
I mean, I should be able to prepare to die for the truth, but that's not really going to motivate people. It's the encounter with Jesus and, and the freedom that he brings us that, um, that enables that uh, uh, transformation that's, that's known as conversion or, or, or metanoia. And, and, and that's what's happening here. They're, they're not presenting the person of Jesus. Now, we do have some, you know, whether, it, you know, I know Archbishop Aquila, Bishop, Archbishop Nauman, I know yourself, Father Gerald Murray. There, there are voices out there, and, and there's many more than that, that are trying to, to bring clarity to people to make, to make the point that you're making. And the reminder is that, you know, we have forgiveness awaiting us. It's not that we have to wallow in this, in this sinfulness and this despair, right? There's all this hope, this love that, that, the, that Christ brings to us. Yet for some reason, as you mentioned, right, instead of proclaiming the gospel and all this love that God has for us and this forgiveness, that he's waiting for us to, you know, seek that forgiveness, uh, they think people are going to be happier living in their sin and, and, and all of a sudden being able to come up for communion is going to be magic. And it's exactly the opposite. Well, it's the thing that is, um, the thing that suggests a kind of at least intellectual dishonesty in their position, right? Is this, um, look, people have to move from point A to point B. We have to accompany them, um, and people have to accompany us as we move from point A to point B. But if we're not admitting that we need to be different than we are now, <laughs> then we're not really talking about moving from, from point A to point B anymore, are we? Right? And so to, to talk about how this is accompaniment, when it doesn't, there's no part of this is the, the, re, the real work of any parent um, of any good friend, of any pastor doing a pastoral work, the, the, the difficult task of accompaniment is is breaking bad news <laughs> to people that, that something's gone wrong in their life, um, uh, what we call an intervention in some circumstances, uh, and mm-hmm. then helping to equip them to um, uh, envision and live out a new life. And it's not as if Casper and all these people over the last 50 years um, have ever, ever told us how to move a person from the place where they're they're in a second marriage that's invalid um, uh, and um, uh, they don't recognize that and they're going to communion, how we get them back into the truth of things, right? Um, and um, this all began long ago um, when um, instead of having Jesus be the norm of our life, um, we made the move um, uh, in the 60s to having conscience. Um, uh, be the norm of our life. A very excellent point made by um, Archbishop Aquila uh, in his response, uh, effectively response to uh, uh, Cardinal McElroy. Um, yeah, Jesus is the center of our life, not conscience. <laughs> because our conscience is, um, is um, it might be, um, well, it, it, we, we have to go by it, <laughs> but, but it's not infallible. Uh, and it has to be formed. Um, and so we've We've taken Jesus, morality, from being our participation in the life of Jesus. Uh, we've turned morality into uh, an abstraction of, of kind of laws that then have to be, we have to figure out how to apply laws in these circumstances. When the real question is, how, how is Jesus acting in our life right now, and how can we cooperate with that and share that life? Very different you know, vision for morality. 
Yeah, oh, very much so. And you, and, and you look at the world, and sometimes people wonder, how did the world get so messed up? But when you look and see what you've talked about, this has been going on for decades within the church. Because the church, because some in the church, not the church itself, but some in the church have not been Christ-centered, right? There's no wonder that that people are wandering aimlessly in the world because they have not been the light that they've been called to be to lead people to the truth and have a Christ-centered life. It's more of a, I want Christ to come follow me as opposed to me following Christ. Right. But this is because Christ has become an abstraction. And we, and we know this. He's become an idea, not a person, because we have, um, we have uh, cardinals, um, uh, uh, Schoenborn, Marx. I mean, Schoenborn, who was the general editor of the Catechism, for heaven's sake. Um, <laughs> Marx, Holerich, who will be guiding the, uh, the synods coming up. Um, of course, Supich and uh, McElroy. Uh, and indeed, even higher than cardinals, we have speaking of the gospel as an ideal. Beware anyone who speaks in that way. This is a way of making the gospel unattainable. But Jesus came and said, there are things that are impossible for man, but he doesn't declare them to be an ideal to strive for. He announces that all things are possible with God. Right? And so those who speak of an idea, the gospel is an ideal that we're striving for, um, uh, this, is, this is entirely wrong-headed. The, the gospel is announcing to us the person of Jesus, and it's only by, by entering into not just a psychological, but a, what we would call an ontological uh, uh, relation uh, uh, of communion with him. It's only by sh- actually sharing his life that we can do any of this in any way that uh, ha- has meaning. It's utterly impossible for man. But the one thing it's not, it's not, it's not an ideal. No, and it, it is disappointing, and there are many of the faithful are extremely disappointed, but we know the truth, right? So even when people speak doing what they're doing and trying to make the gospel an ideal and, and all these other things, we know what we're supposed to do. So we can't become depressed over what we see, right? We need to live our lives, and we've been put here at this particular time in history, right, to show what following Jesus and having Christ at the center of our lives looks like, because as bad as this thing continues to get, people are going to need to see and have that hope when they see people who are centered in Christ. And regardless of what some in the hierarchy are saying, we know the truth and we can't be led astray by by their misgivings. The situation is, is more than um, a disappointing, all right? Um, it, it is grievous. A false gospel is announced. Yeah. and allowed to be out there, right? That's grievous, uh, and, and, that, and that can be depressing, and that's okay. It should be depressing. It shouldn't be the only thing that's happening in our life. Right. Um, uh, uh, but, but it is happening, and it's happening all around us. Um, and we have to be able to bear the reality of the situation so that, look, optimism and pessimism are vices. They're not virtues. Uh, the, the cup isn't half full. It isn't half empty. It's both half full and half empty. And who says otherwise is um, misguided, is no longer in the reality of the world. Um, and so, so Christians, for, for, Christians have to be able to stand in the cross. They have to be to stand with Jesus. Jesus doesn't squint. He doesn't ignore what's happening. 
he experiences the joys and sorrows of our life uh, intimately and totally. And so he carries both the joy and the sorrow. And it's only by being in, in the heart of Jesus and seeing with the eyes of Jesus that we can do this. Otherwise, we are bound to either um, uh, ignore it and, and minimize it and hide from it because we can't face it, or we become angry and rage-filled. And we see both of these responses on the part of people uh, in the church. Um, it's only in Jesus that we can stand there and say, yeah, this is exactly this is exactly what's happening. It is this bad. It's not worse. It is this bad. It's the same problem we have, though, in being able to see our sins, right? We have to be able to see our sins and not, not panic. We have to be able to see our sins and, and not be happy about it, but not become so fixated on the sin that our eyes and our heart aren't turned to Jesus, because that's the only place that, that, that true, true hope, not false optimism, that true hope comes from. Um, and, and again, this is what's happening. People aren't being trained to do this, to look to Jesus. Well, and, you know, we have this, you know, this synod on synodality that's going on. And, and look, it's going to get worse. It's not going to turn on a dime and all of a sudden things are going to get better, right? I think people need to prepare themselves because the same people who are proclaiming this basically a false gospel are, are the ones leading this synod. And, and you know the results are going to come, well, we think those results are going to come out exactly the way they want. So people need to, to brace themselves, prepare themselves, root themselves even deeper in Christ so that when, when this storm hits, don't get out of the boat, stay in the boat, right? Well, right. But yeah, that, I mean, certainly things are getting worse. Um, it is important to recognize that we are, we are a long way into this struggle. Um, uh, we are in certain ways centuries into it, um, but uh, we are particularly, we've been in it for over half a century now. Um, and so there is nothing now happening that wasn't already said, being said out loud and allowed to be said out loud, right, 60 years ago. You know, one of the things that, that, um, that I causes just me to, pon- to ponder things is how how certain priests and, and even bishops can um, denounce uh, the President of the United States and the Speaker of the House uh, and say they should be uh, denied communion. Uh, a man and a woman who, at least since the 1960s, have been routinely told they could do what they're doing mm-hmm. by theologians, priests, and bishops. And yet the same bishops and priests will sit down and go to a synod with the likes of Holerich. Now, now how, how, how is it that it could be hypocritical to give communion to, uh, to the president or the speaker of the house, um, uh, the former speaker of the house, um, mm-hmm. um, but it's not hypocrisy as a bishop to send delegates to a synod in, in which it's being led by someone who wants to overturn the teaching regarding homosexuality, which is to say he wants to overturn not just that. He wants to overturn not just sexuality. He wants to overturn uh, the whole understanding of the human person uh, that Christ has made known to us. And yet you will, you, you will be in communion with that. You'll participate. You, you, you won't just say, no, we're not going to be part of this. You, you don't denounce it. You go along with it because that's what people do, right? So that's the situation we're in. Um, the synod is already bogus and has been uh, for quite some time. 
And yet we do not see on the so-called, um, whatever you want to call it, the non-progressive side, the, the conservative side, the traditional side, um, we don't see effective and, and, re- and reasoned and careful and balanced critique of the entire system because the entire system in this matter is corrupt. Corrupt meaning it's not producing development. Newman, Newman examines the, the dogmatic development. He, he makes a clear distinction between what is the flowering and development of doctrine and what is the corruption of doctrine. And he gives us good met- metrics to, to measure that. And by the time you're, you're talking about having conversations regarding uh, divorce and remarriage, um, polygamy, homosexuality, and certainly we can't be being mean to the people who are just fornicating, this is corrupt. This this isn't. Uh, again, your intention might be fine. You may be mistaken. It's irrelevant. This is corruptive. It is destroying. It is tearing apart. As a matter of fact, not a matter of intention. That's what it's doing. And how is it that bishops stand by, um, and um, and and other other Catholic uh, leaders um, want to kind of pretend like this is business as usual? It has ceased to be the point where it could be business as usual for us. Well, unfortunately, it's business as usual for them because, as you mentioned, it's been going on for decades. And, you know, I think, you know, people like yourself and the articles you read give people hope and actually help clarify things. How can people follow what you're doing? Because they need to follow people who can see things clearly and are rooted in Jesus. First of all, keep their eye on Jesus, say their prayers, uh, keep... um, Keep an old copy of the Catechism, for it may be, it may be being altered as we go along. Um, uh, remember, the Catechism is only as good as the sources that it comes from. It's not a freestanding document um, that has its own teaching authority. Uh, and just changing the words in that document doesn't do anything to the official teaching of the Church. Uh, those, the, the words that you would want to put in there have to be already established in the life of the church. It's not a place to introduce new ideas and new and new and new theories. Um, um, and um, yes, so st- stay in prayer, um, um, read the catechism, of course, read the scriptures, um, and be attentive to to uh, priests and bishops who um, accord with with that faith. And any, if anyone brings you a different faith, don't don't receive it. But Paul said, "Don't even listen to me if I bring if I bring you another another gospel. Don't listen to the angel in heaven." And so we ought not to be um, hearkening to um, anyone in the hierarchy, and, I, and by that I mean anyone um, who um, uh, says something that's contrary to the gospel that's been handed down to us. N- none of them are infallible uh, in their routine statements, and none of them are infallible in even fairly solemn statements. Uh, the only way any of them are infallible uh, is under very precise conditions regarding uh, an ecumenical council or a solemn infallible declaration of the Pope. Short of that, you can't be sure what's being said. It, it, you can. If it doesn't match what's been said before, then it, it's, right. not to be, it's not to be heeded. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the point. You can be sure about that. If it's something new, no bishop, no pope gets to make up new doctrine. Nobody gets to make up new doctrine, not even in an ecumenical council and not even in a, 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 an infallible statement. It can only be reflections on the existing um, gospel that's been handed down to us. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.